Family Ties, Regenerative Medicine and Physical Therapy. Today, we're going to dive deep into how these two are intimately connected and will assist with improving our patients' outcomes. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back to Therapists in Motion podcast. This is Dan here today. I am joined once again by Trent Rincon and Dr. Matthew Hernandez. As we alluded to in the introduction, we are going to discuss regenerative medicine techniques. So gentlemen, I am honored and and grateful that you guys were able to join us today. Excited to be here. Looking forward to this discussion. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. So Dr. Hernandez, why don't you just kind of quick give us a little bit of your background as our listeners are familiar with Trent. So, uh, and I know that you host a podcast podcast as well. So feel free to share that with our listeners. I appreciate that. Yeah. So my name is Dr. Matthew Hernandez. I'm a co-owner of Ethos Integrative Medicine in uh, Scottsdale. And uh, my specialty focus is in regenerative medicine uh, using prolotherapy, PRP, uh, et cetera, to treat tissue damage. Uh, And then I also have my own podcast. It's called the Ethos Athletes Podcast. Basically gives tips to help people stay active and and, keep keep them moving. That's awesome. We're really excited to have you. So as we were kind of doing our show prep, we were talking about our our plan for this and kind of the direction we want to steer it. So, you know, as Trent alluded to, us as physical therapists probably have some misconceptions and misnomers on the differences of injections that are available for our patients to receive. I think most of us are pretty comfortable with the corticosteroid injection for that in, in that traditional inflammatory type condition. But could you just give us uh, an outline of the types that are out there, maybe some of the pros and cons, and where you've really found a sweet spot for um, working in regenerative medicine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and like you said, so when, when we're looking at cortisone um, and corticosteroids, the, really the whole point of those is to decrease inflammation and then also decrease pain uh, is ultimately what their goal is. Uh, now, there's pros and cons to, uh, to doing that. And when we're looking at uh, corticosteroids, the, the, the biggest con that it, they have, uh, aside from potentially causing systemic issues, is that if you do, uh, you know, there's a reason we do a series of three, right? And the series of three is because uh, over time, it can actually weaken a ligament, a tendon. Uh, I, I, there's studies that show that it makes arthritis worse, different things like that, uh, as it breaks down cartilage. So b- biggest con to cortisone injections is doing that o- over a long period of term. This is, you know, all the evidence is showing not to use it for long-term use. The next thing that's used in conventional uh, medicine is going to be hyaluronic acid. That's another injection that can be done. Uh, this is typically used for uh, individuals who are experiencing osteoarthritis, usually mild, uh, mild to moderate, and uh, basically acts as a lubricant into in the knee. Now, there are there are uh, there are some benefits to it in that it can decrease pain, it can help the knee move a little bit better. Uh, but again, even studies, uh, recent studies, are showing that it's it's not having as much of an effect as um, as it was made out to, to have. If you look at the current um, literature on uh, current treatment and, and management for osteoarthritis of the knee, uh, hyaluronic acid is no longer actually recommended in that algorithm. And so that's something that uh, a lot of people aren't aware of. Now, 
Uh, again, you know, the, there's there's still some uh, evidence that does show that it helps, which is great, uh, in, in decreasing some of the pain, lubricating the joint, stuff like that. And I, there is a place for it, I believe. But then when we're looking more at the regenerative medicine injections, uh, there, there's a, a, a larger number because in the conventional world, it's corticosteroid or hyaluronic acid. Uh, when we're looking at regenerative medicine, though, the whole point of these uh, injections is to go and decrease pain, just like the corticosteroid or the conventional counterparts, uh, but also working on, on healing tissue damage. Uh, and so by healing the tissue damage, we can strengthen the tissue, whether it's a tendon, ligament, uh, improve cartilage, stuff like that, uh, as well as uh, increasing range of motion, function, all those things, and, and ultimately getting the, the patient to feel better uh, altogether. Uh, when we're looking at the different injections that are available in this category, uh, the, very, the very first one that we kind of start out with is, is what's called prolotherapy. Prolotherapy contains uh, dextrose, which is a sugar, and the whole point of prolotherapy is to cause irritation into uh, at, at at the injection site. So uh, there are studies that sh- that show prolotherapy being uh, beneficial for ligaments, tendons, and cartilage. Uh, where it really shines is with ligament health, um, and when you have like a ligament laxity. So think of um, like an uh, AC joint ligament laxity, uh, posterior sacroiliac ligament, uh, the SI joint. These things uh, are really shine with it. MCL, LCL. We can really tighten up ligaments by injecting uh, dextrose uh, into it, which helps build collagen. And when we when we are able to cause that irritation to allow collagen uh, deposition in that area, it, it goes in and strengthens that ligament. So I have a question about the prolotherapy. Absolutely, I've had, I've had a couple of patients who have received that. And they frequently come back and tell me how painful of an injection yeah. that was. Can you speak a little bit about why it perhaps is so painful that then we're seeing on the therapist side and they're going, yeah, I don't really want to do that again, but why we might encourage them to receive it again? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a few things that contribute to um, how painful an injection is. So. First and foremost is going to be the, like at the day of the injection, it's going to be uh, the acidity of the solution. So the more, like when you're doing prolotherapy, the typical solution for that is lidocaine, dextrose, and then saline. The lidocaine is extremely acidic. There are, there are some people who believe in buffering it to decrease the acidity to it. Um, and then others that don't believe in doing that. But at the end of the day, the the uh, acid or the, the acidic component to the injection is going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's going to cause pain in that in that moment and keep you sore for a few days. Obviously, technique is another thing. People who go and uh, are you know a little bit aggressive when they inject, or if they're injecting with you know kind of like cheap needles and stuff like that. So like needle, like the quality of the needle actually makes a huge difference. You like the sharper. It sounds scary, but the sharper the needle. The better the better the the injection is, the less painful it is, and so that that you know that has an effect as well. Um, after and, and both of those will, both of those factors are going to kind of play in the first few days. Um, after that, the whole goal of everything is to actually go and cause inflammation. So again, we're causing this inflammatory response. So with that inflammatory response, typically there is some pain involved. That being said, if you modify 
the amount of dextrose that is in the injection. So like when I, when I'm injecting a patient and I think that there, that there's a chance that let's say their tissue damage is just really bad or they have like a really low pain threshold or they're a guy cause guys are really bad at getting injections in general. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> they, uh, what do you call it? What, what, what I actually do is I, I inject if I'm doing prolotherapy, I actually, uh, inject a lower concentration of dextrose first. Because if I can get the tissue, dextrose has a really good job of like calming tissue down. So if we can in- inject a lower dose, that will allow us to inject a higher concentration on the next one, and it'll be a lot less painful. So you can dial the dextrose based on on a few different components, and that makes the biggest difference in the world with how much these injections hurt. So th- there'll always be a little bit, just because there is an inflammatory response. But when we're looking at these injections as a whole, if you cause a patient to like quote unquote flare then we need to have a few ways to, you know, mitigate that. And the, those are some of the ways that we look at, at doing that. So with that, you talk about stimulating the inflammatory process. I, I feel like we would have a lot of clients that would, because of that, or because of the pain that you just uh, so eloquently described, look at an NSAID yeah. while that's being treated. Yes. Does that not, is that not counterintuitive to the process that we're actually trying to create. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, the um, anything that is an anti that has any kind of anti-inflammatory effect, specifically uh, NSAIDs like ibuprofen, all those things, um, those will actually counteract the injection itself. So I've had patients where I stress I don't know how many times that go you know and I say don't take any anti-inflammatory. If they have pain, they can take Tylenol. Now everyone knows Tylenol doesn't really work super well, so there's other things to do. Um, but <laughs> but uh, when we're looking at what do you call it, like at, at these treatments, if you're going in and taking ibuprofen, uh, I mean, and and you're taking it throughout the course of it, you're really just doing yourself a disservice. Like the treatment's not going to work. And I've I've had a handful of patients that were just like. You know, yeah, the treatment didn't work. And then, you know, on their follow-up, they're like, I don't feel any better. Okay, well, you know, walk me through. Did you take anything? They're like, oh, yeah, I took like 800 milligrams of ibuprofen a day. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that's that's fantastic. You just <laughs> negated true. everything that I just did. But, your money. yeah, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I feel bad because now you just wasted it. But, yeah, the, it, it, Tylenol is safe to take. There's some herbs that I use as well. Uh, so my training uh, background is uh, naturopathic medicine. Um, so I'm kind of trained, I'm trained in herbs and supplements as well. Um, there's really good ones to use for, for those things to mitigate it, uh, that, that are, that help with the pain response, but still promote the inflammation that I'm looking for. So, yeah. So with that, when you bring out supplements and I feel like because of the Prolo, uh, like you said, being a collagen stimulator, do you also then attach that with a supplementation of collagen yeah. Because of this? That's a great or question. In general? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, definitely, depending on the tissue that I'm treating, um, I'll give a, sp- a specific supplement. So I have one supplement that has uh, type 2 collagen in it that I give for ligament and tendon. I have another one that has um, some, some factors that help with cartilage, depending if I'm treating osteoarthritis. Both of those are really good uh, to give at the same time. At the end of the day, my, you know, what I'm doing, what I'm doing my best to do is stack the odds in my patient's favor. So if if we can, you know, like if they're spending the money for these injections, you know, let's make sure that they work. And so, uh, there's a lot of criteria that I, that they have to meet before I even consider injecting them to make sure that it's going to be healthy enough and that it's going to work. 
And then with that, the supplementation of giving collagen, probably having them do like vitamin C. Uh, I have my patients drink bone broth as well because that, that that's going to be a huge source of collagen. If they don't want to do the supplements and people don't like taking pills, so I have them do the bone broth as well. Those are all things that I, I use to support what I'm doing uh, because if we can get that collagen synthesis moving in the right direction, it, it's going to work really well. Uh, nitric oxide is another huge one that shows a lot of um, – uh, there's a lot of pros to using nitric oxide in uh, in order to produce more collagen as well. So beets. Yeah, and yeah, you can do beet. Yeah, up. beet powder. Yep, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, beet powder is a common one. No way. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I love taking beets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so to finish this up, I think on this prolo, yeah, as a physical therapist, and we talk about anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Speaking of different types of cryotherapy, whether it's just ice bag game ready type of situations or even some of the the cryo stimulators on particular joints yeah or cold baths anything else that gambit do those things play similar routes in that process that we shouldn't be looking at or because of the differences in the simulation versus an NSAID uh, it's something that we can still continue to do yeah that's a great question so i i think i think cryo um does and i haven't I haven't actually looked super close at the research because I, ha- I haven't had a lot of patients who have come in wanting to do cryo. I've had probably like four that were like, oh, hey, I do cryo regularly. Is it something that, that you know, you can do? And they, they've, you know, they've gone and done it. I didn't see any, any negative changes to their treatment um, and nor did it prolong it in any way from what I was expecting. Uh, so I think cryo works really well. Uh, I'm a big fan of using contrast hot and cold yeah. um, during it. So if, if they're having uh, some pain uh, or anything like that, they can go and do a contrast hot and cold. That usually takes care of it as well or decreases it to some degree. Yeah, I, I, I really like the contrast aspect. and then, kind of that poor man's nitric oxide. Exactly, yeah. just that you get. But yeah. Well, I mean, I think it makes sense more. from a clinical reasoning standpoint compared to the end said, like, if I put somebody – on an ice pack following a PT session after they receive Prolo, it's localized, right? Right. Am I really going to get to the level of depth in 10 minutes with protecting their skin to really impact the collagen synthesis? Part of my clinical brain says, I don't know that I'm going to get that deep, right? Like, you know, the superficial heat doesn't get that deep. And if it does, it's only going to be for a short period of time. Right. So now I have, I seen protocols from other docs that say, no ice whatsoever after stem cell or prolo yes Mm -hmm. and if that's what the doc says that's what i follow right Right. like i'm not here to contraindicate you or you know another doc that sends after one of those injections but i think it's an interesting debate for us to have that might be really challenging from a research standpoint to really study because how are they going to study the depth of which that cold packer game game ready really does hit yeah for sure And, and i agree with that the the nice thing, like I, I, I used to tell patients not to do, you know, we're talking about anti-inflammatories. I used to tell them not to do fish oil, curcumin, what do you call it? Yeah, do, doing like ice, stuff like that. Uh, I've always, I've always been, again, I've always been a proponent of the contrast. Cryo, I had one, I, I told, I think, the first two patients not to do it. And then one of them was like, well, I just really like it. So I'm going to give it a shot. I was like, hey, man. <laughs> 
your your it's, it's your body like you go for it and mm-hmm. and I, I never notice with with those things i i've never noticed a, de- a decrease in the results that i get um it, what, what i have noticed it is insane yeah right, like those, the those systemic, like systemic effects exactly yeah like that that just like like the treatment does not work in that case uh, you know every now and then i might have them do it like i've had a few patients who had like a temporary flare and i made them i, I told them just to take an ibuprofen for like you know twice like for two days or something to bring it down and then they were fine and that that didn't impact anything but if they're doing it throughout the whole process like yeah we're it's not gonna work and i think for so. me like i know ice is controversial and this isn't the topic of this of this uh discussion but as a pain moderator yeah like, i can put an ice bag on a localized spot for 10 minutes as a pain moderator not looking for the anti-inflammatory processes wherever you believe that goes but as a way to just can i take your pain down a little right. bit to give you some calm I think it's where we would probably would see that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's a great use for yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah. And so that's, yeah, that, that's been my experience with anti-inflammatories and, and on using these therapies and the, the same, the same, uh, what we just talked about kind of goes for all of them, all the ones that we're talking about. So, okay. We've talked about Prolo. What are some of the other options out there from a regenerative medicine standpoint yeah. that, that are pros, cons, and, and, you know, that, that are on the gamut outside of the non-traditional pathway yeah absolutely uh the the next the next one up from prolo is going to be so and i guess tough prolo really quick so the what dextrose does is it it recruit or so it causes inflammation irritates the tissue and it's recruiting your uh, essentially growth factor stuff like that to the area that's the whole point of it is recruit growth growth factor with that you get collagen synthesis now next level up is going to be what's called platelet-rich plasma and uh, this is where we go and we draw uh, the patient's blood. Uh, assuming they're healthy, we do uh, do some screening beforehand to make sure that, that all that, like their platelet count is going to be good. And what I'm interested in is, again, the platelets. So draw the patient's blood, concentrate it down, and uh, separate the f- first, first time I separate the red blood cells from the plasma. After that, I take the plasma, spin it down again, and I concentrate the platelets. And it's the platelet that I'm interested in because the platelets contain all these growth factors that are connected to it. And if I can go and inject that into an area, then the chances now, instead of just recruiting growth factor, I'm putting this high concentration into a given area. Uh, so the chance of healing dramatically increases. And so the, the that's kind of the next level up. Now with PRP, it, the there's a few different things with it so the where, where where this is like has the best effect is in tendons if, if you go and do any if you study regenerative medicine and, and you look at prp where the most successful studies have been is in tendinopathy or, or tendinosis uh so and out of all those like uh lateral epicondylitis is like the biggest one that there's studies for but even rotator cuff different things like that so the, that, this one works super well for tendons. It, it can be used for ligaments too. It's almost always overkill for ligaments. Um, but it, it can, it works extremely well for tendons, um, to the point where you can even, you know, if you have like a tear in the rotator cuff that's like less than five millimeters, it can help heal that tear up. Um, as opposed to them going and, and, uh, doing a debridement of the tendon, you can try and heal it, uh, depending on what, on what's going on. The, I think the biggest thing to note with PRP is there's a lot. So again, you, you, you draw the blood and you process it by spinning it down. 
the how it's processed makes a huge difference in what the, the final outcome is. And from a patient standpoint or even a therapist standpoint, if you're shadowing someone, there's there's no way to know what the concentration is in the syringe unless you're able to measure that with like a platelet counter. And the concentration of the PRP actually matters um, based on the tissue you're treating. So if, if you're treating a tendon, that's a different concentration than if you're treating osteoarthritis, which studies also show works super well with PRP. Um, and so you you want to be able to have that. And a lot of clinics that, that do PRP uh, actually don't get the concentrations that they're supposed to. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I know, I know a bunch of clinics around here. I know how in general in, in the field, how this, the, the blood is processed to get this. And I'm fortunate to have a platelet counter. So I can, I've actually on the same patient, same day, I, I drew enough blood to run it and process his blood on how I do it versus how it's traditionally done in most other clinical settings. And then I compared the, 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 the two different concentrations and the difference between those is, was insane. I mean, I, I think I had like eight X, eight times the concentration from the baseline and everyone else was getting maybe like two X. And for the injection I needed was anywhere between six and eight. So huge, huge difference. So yeah. So the other people aren't necessarily getting that. Uh, so that, that's extremely important. Otherwise, like you'll get some benefits, but it's not going to heal the way it should. Now, the, the biggest con to having such a high concentration is if you don't know how to, mitigate the 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 pain itself and and to and to mitigate flare-ups which again goes into some of the stuff we talked about prp is extremely acidic uh it hurts like a mother and uh (laughs) and so you you need to you need to know how to mitigate that and again there's some there's some techniques for buffering there's uh techniques for making it less acidic or else the patient will flare and and you have to do some some prep with the tissue which i I typically use prolotherapy to prep the tissue first because again, if you can do a, a low dose of dextrose and then inject the PRP after that, then the, the chance of them flaring and the amount of pain that they're going to experience is a lot less. Um, so I have a question related to timelines on the therapy end, right? Like I'm thinking in my head of some of the clinical prediction rules and clinical experience and working with mentors on timelines for somebody with a tendinosis to really get back to where they can function at a normal level or an elite level, right? Like yeah. going through the PRP or the prolo to the PRP process, what does that do from an expediting that timeline? Yeah. Great right? question. So if, if we're comparing like tendon to tendon, because you can use prolotherapy for tendons too. If you're comparing tendon to tendon with prolotherapy, you'll probably see an improvement to where they're functional, I'd say within three to four months. Whereas if you looked at that tendon uh, from a PRP perspective, you're probably looking at one to two months difference. Um, the biggest thing with the PRP is can, are, you, are you able to control the flare? Because they can be flared for like several weeks we if you don't know sweat, what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> um, what do you call it? But yeah, I, I mean, the, the PRP can, can decrease the amount of time almost in half potentially. So. Which is huge yeah. from our understanding of how we progress a patient from an exercise standpoint, right? Assuming yeah. that you don't have a tissue flare, where if, if you're having a tissue flare, obviously, hopefully you're working closely with the person that did the injection on how to manage and mitigate that, right? Absolutely. But yeah. I, I think that that allows for us to, again, have a professional clinical discussion amongst colleagues on 
what, what, what are we doing with these individuals following this injection and how are we able to progress them differently than those who haven't received this injection, right? And not that this is the time or the place, but I think it's an interesting, I really think this is where it's, it's, it's headed yeah. in our mutual professions of, okay, well, how, how aggressive can we be with this person? Obviously without being so aggressive that now they have a flare, a flare right. and or a failure of said injection. And then, you know, that, that has ill will on both of our professions, which obviously is not what we want. But, but I think that that's something that moving forward as we continue to have advances in prolo and PRP and the efficiency and the concentration that, that that's going to happen and it's going to be the ultimate benefit of the end user, the patient, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and it, there's, there's such a huge, like, uh, there's such a huge benefit to being able to work, work in unison with this. Uh, like you mentioned, I mean, most of the, you know, the, the, when we're looking at, at PT and uh, combining it with regenerative medicine, the, the whole, you know, in, in my opinion, this is my philosophy when I'm treating uh, joint pain is at the end of the day, if I, if I sum, if I summarize what I'm treating, I'm treating tissue damage. Well, we know that tissue damage is a wear and tear pattern that happens. It comes from a wear and tear over time, right? And that wear and tear comes from a biomechanic issue that started everything and I don't treat that part. So what I tell my patients is, look, I, I can do this injection on you. Absolutely. And, you know, let's say I'm working on a rotator cuff. I can do this injection to fix the, t- the tendinosis or the partial tear or whatever it is that you have. But at the end of the day, if you have a like scapular instability, this is going to come back. You're going to be back in a year with this same issue, maybe, maybe two or three years or whatever, but it's going to come back if we don't fix that scapular instability. So, we need the we need physical therapy to do that part, and so you, you're going to cut you're going to shortchange yourself if you only do this you know this injection on its own uh, or this series of injections on its own, and so you know yeah being able to have someone that that um, have a team that kind of works together through all that process is, is huge. I mean uh, the the best clinical outcomes I've seen have been with my patients that also did PT. I think that's the discussion that we have to have with our clients, especially those that are willing to consider this option, uh, is that, you know, your body's only going one of two directions, right? It's either getting worse yeah. or you're getting better. Right. And it's intentional on either side. Mm-hmm. We get the discussion, which I'm sure you do too as well. Well, nothing's changed on my end. Why am I getting worse? And I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, well, yeah, nothing's changed on your end because you're getting worse. Like that literally is the definition of why this is happening. Right. Unless you're being intentional with your moving patterns and you're trying to improve, the opposite of not improving is getting worse each, right. each single day. It's, yeah. It's kind of becomes a funny discussion unless right. you help someone yeah. grasp the understanding. And I think the collection of what regenerative medicine can do and how we can, you know, like I said, mitigate those patterns mm-hmm. or improve the motion or the mobility and going back to our mechanics of what we understand with joints right. and with soft tissue. You know, Dr. Hannah is never going to say, you know, don't get this and don't go move for, for a week. Yeah. That's counterintuitive to how our bodies operate. Right. But I'm also not going to tell you, okay, go do this, and I want you to go, you know, see if you can PR on the SWAT. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in your knee, like yeah. that's not how this works too as well. So – Really asking our clinicians to really start to think and go back to what your tissue mechanics are and what your physiology is when it comes to the joint or the tendon or the ligamentous tissue and say, okay, 
How can I add a stimulation depending on what has happened in this, what has changed, and what do I need to really start to reinvent for this client so they get the maximum benefit out of this? <laughs> then we start to see the collaboration on both sides really getting the most benefit out of it. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to come back to yeah. you, to me, to you, to me. Right. I mean, which is a great business model. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we're all here for the different can, other reasons, can, right? can lead to a bad reputation sometimes. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything else on PRP and the approach and what to think about on both your end, the patient end, and the therapy end? Um, only other thing. So I, I, I mentioned earlier that it, it does help with osteoarthritis. Um, and the, there's a few studies that show, like, if you're looking at mild to moderate osteoarthritis, they did, uh, there's two studies that I'm aware of that, uh, they compared the benefits of PRP to prolotherapy to cortisone to hyaluronic acid, uh, and even to bone marrow stem cell. And, uh, PRP outperformed all of those. Uh, and, and had a longer period of um, improvement in the knee overall, like the Womack score, compared to, to all, all the alternatives that they tried. Um, so super great for osteoarthritis as well. Yeah, I mean, and the nice thing with doing it with PRP and osteoarthritis is you don't get as much of a flare within the knee as you do, like if you're doing a shoulder, like a rotator cuff kind of sucks sometimes uh, if, if it does flare. So you need to, again, know how to manage that part. I think, I think, I mean, unless there's anything wrong on PRP, I mean, I know I love peptide discussion and Dr. Henners and I have gone deep dive on the peptides. Yeah. But I think the stem cells probably is something you should probably look at next because that's that next thing. And everyone's looking at what stem cell is. Can it help me? I know we get questions all the time. Oh, yeah. Should I go do this? Is this a good thing? Absolutely. Can I, you know, find a way to allow this to help me? It's so expensive. Is it worth it? Mm -hmm. What are you? What are your thoughts and experiences in that realm? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so yeah, stem cell is like the sexy thing right now in in um, orthopedic, right? And so, the there there's a few things to look at when we're looking at stem cells as a whole. So, true stem cell therapy is going to be a product or a process that comes from them uh, the the physician drawing. Uh, your bone marrow from typically your uh, PSIS. So they, they basically drill a little hole into your iliac crest and they go and pull bone marrow out. So that's bone marrow stem cell. Uh, and then they process it similar how, to how you do PRP, um, but where you concentrate the stem cells at the end and then you do the injection. Uh, another way that is a little bit more controversial than bone marrow, but it's still an option as of right now, is adipose, where they go in... Um, take some of the adipose from either it's either the glute or sometimes the stomach and they spin that down and you can get that uh, within the adipose contains stem cells as well. So those are when, when we're talking about stem cell therapy, the, the biggest thing to look at or the, one of the biggest considerations is what, how are they defining stem cells? Because true stem cell therapy is coming from bone marrow or coming from adipose tissue. Now in um, the, the other, the, the other, the, the big, the, the thing that is getting, it has gained traction. And I think what most people are, are thinking of when they're thinking about stem cell therapy is, uh, actually falsely advertised. And it's, uh, either amniotic, it's called either quote unquote amniotic stem cell, uh, or placental stem cell or umbilical cord stem cell. None of those things are actually true stem cell therapy. 
Interesting. What and and it's it's a it's a very common misconception, and it all has to do with how it's marketed. Um, so shocking. Yeah. So <laughs> weird. Yeah. So the the interesting thing with these is these products come in uh, in a in a little vial. So they basically go and take amniotic tissue, they process it, and hopefully, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot the companies that exist that process these types of tissues, I'd say maybe like 10% of them are actually legit. Uh, most of them are actually like crap. Wow. And the way that it's regulated, there's really, it, it's re- very poorly regulated right now. So it's something that like FDA is really looking hard at to, to regulate better. But there's a lot of really bad companies that do this. Uh, and the few good ones are going to go and take the tissue, they process it down. And at the end of the day, that tissue doesn't actually have stem cells in it. It has what's called, it's, it's called, it's, it has growth factor from that tissue. So it's no different than getting a PRP, except it's coming from a, an outside tissue source from your, than, other than yourself. Um, and so there's, a, there's a lot of clinics that will go and say, you know, I, I know I've, I've had patients come in that went to like a chiropractor clinic that said that they needed stem cells and, you know, they, they, they get quoted like $50,000, like, yes, 50,000. And <laughs> they, uh, and they're told they're going to get stem cell therapy. And what they're actually going would be getting had they gone through with it is an amniotic injection of growth or amniotic growth factor. Now there are the handful of companies that are legit that make this actually, like there is some benefit to doing these injections, but at the end of the day, if the plate, if the patient's own platelets are healthy enough, if they and they have enough of them, stuff like that, again, it matters. The concentration matters of what's in the syringe. If if you can measure all that, then I I almost always opt for the patient's own stuff because why would I, you know, want outside tissue source in general? So that those are that's, that's the biggest caveat with stem cells. What are you talking about? Is it true stem cell or is it fake? And if it's not bone marrow or adipose, it's fake. And then from there, stem cells essentially. There's a lot of good research on it, and the best research comes when we're looking at severe osteoarthritis, and you know, and, and when we're looking at a true stem cell therapy, the most like the, the if anything, the biggest benefit you can get is when you're treating severe osteoarthritis. It it outperforms everything else that's been shown, and so knowing what that grade is is important. Because keep in mind, if you're doing mild to moderate osteoarthritis, PRP outperforms PRP, it. Right. And, uh, which is, which is weird, but, uh, I mean, it's cool. So it, it, you, you're going to get, you're going to get a better response with PRP and mild to moderate severe is going to be stem cell therapy. And, and, and honestly, that that's kind of the biggest thing that, that you can use stem cells for. Some people will use it for tendinopathy. Uh, most of the studies I've looked at don't show any benefit of stem cell versus PRP for treating even a partial tear in the shoulder. The outcomes are about the same. So you're just adding a bigger price tag on um, something that you know may not necessarily need, need to be done when you're comparing it to PRP. Yeah, and so the, the but stem cells work super well. I would say that for people that have orthopedic conditions, at least with the the population that I see, I've only maybe had one or two patients that I would have deemed a candidate for stem cell therapy. Most of them respond really well to PRP or Prolo. So. Yeah, it, it's it's the sexy thing to do, or it's the sexy thing to like talk about and to look at. But in the vast majority of the population, I would say it's not necessarily it's not necessary. You can get a good result with the others. And so, with, and it's a smaller price tag too. So, 
similar to what we've talked about with Prolo and PRP. And thank you, by the way, for that myth debunk that you just did. Of course. So, because I, I feel like that that's, that's the thing. And I think part of it is it, it's the political side, right? Like stem cells so controversial because they're using amniotic fluid yeah. or whatever versus the true understanding of self stem cells where they're taking it out of their own individual and that significantly reduces any of the controversy because right the, yeah you know that, that whole side but you know I, I appreciate you debunking those things so my, my question would be similar type therapy approach in in somebody that has received stem cell versus one of the two lesser you know pr- tiered interventions and injections yeah i mean obviously they're still if they're at the point where they have severe osteoarthritis they, they've got some biomechanical changes they've oh god yeah yeah also shut down and things like that but are there things for our therapists and our listeners to be advised at that if they're working with somebody who has received traditional as you define stem cell therapy that are kind of no-nos right like you really need to watch this don't load them aggressively let's do some partial weight bearing to allow that to really take effect or is is that not really supported in the evidence yeah that's a great question so i i don't think there's as much the 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 whole the whole idea of what what has been termed by people in my profession as uh, regenerative rehabilitation is a very like new concept and uh, they're, they're just, I think this year, they, they just, maybe last year, they started just publishing papers on protocols that look like that. A lot of, some of the protocols are differing. Um, some are, are very similar, but the, none of them have shown, shown like a really conclusive evidence of how to rehab this as, at this point. Um, from what I've seen from a clinical standpoint in my own, we're looking at within the first three days, I... In general, like to have the patient somewhat immobilized. That being said, if I'm treating a shoulder, I, I want them to move it around because it, it's going to stiffen up on them otherwise. So I like you know regular uh, range of motion exercises, stuff like that. Um, I usually rely on uh, the physical therapist to to give them a, a range of motion stuff and to just to walk them through the first few days, um, and then really I've seen a lot of good success at week two. Uh, of them starting their physical therapy. And obviously you all have your stages of how you rehab people. Right. And so uh, I, I just trust that, you know, I, I trust y'all's expertise on that because y'all went to school for that and I didn't. So, uh, you know, I think there's a big difference in our knowledge on how you rehab someone. So <laughs> which I, I love that he says that because we get protocols all the time, right. even in other situations. And some of our therapists will take the protocol as the literal Bible and it's, you realize this doctor wrote this protocol based on a generalization yes. of the client, but your rotator cuff and your rotator cuff and your rotator cuff are going to be very, very different. Yeah. So using our brains, which weirdly, that's kind of what we're getting paid for. Yeah, right? It's a concept. big deal. So like you say, okay, <laughs> Dr. Hernandez says, I want you to do range of motion exercises, maybe keep it more passive and then go active. And then here's your general timelines taking into consideration why doesn't our therapist go back and say, okay, I know joint mechanics. I understand now that you had a stem cell in this spot. Here's what I know can allow proper joint health. Yes. We know those things. It's just, do we have that conversation in our head and then with our clients and say, this is how we're going to give you that best outcome. This is what the joint does. This is how the body works. This is how I can stimulate your own natural uh, processes of healing mm-hmm. safely while we just threw 
nitroglycerin on this so you can actually get a big boost in this process. Yes. That's what you just spent this money for to go to see Dr. Hernandez. That's why you're coming back to me because he tells you to, this is what the circle looks like for everyone winning in this situation, especially the clients, which I love that you said that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and to your point, like when, when I'm looking at, at having someone go through physical therapy, like the, what, again, I, I don't like to generalize protocols like you just mentioned, because uh, every patient's different. From, from my perspective, how they respond to my injections is hugely based on how active they are, how healthy they are, all those things, yeah. uh, their age, stuff like that. And so when we're looking at that piece, someone who's young and extremely active is going to respond better in general to, and, and, and be able to, to go through uh, rehab faster than someone who, you know, that, that, that's a little bit older and still mm-hmm. active. And at the end of the day, I, you know, you're aware I do this is I go and say, hey, look, this is the goal of the patient. So, um, you know, the, this, go. this patient wants to swim. Right, like the, the, this yeah. is a swimmer. This is the first patient that, that yeah. uh, our, our team worked on, right? So, yeah. the, the this patient is Olympic caliber swimmer. They need to get back to swimming. The, you know, this is what I did, and I, I, whatever the rehab looks like around that, I'm going to trust your you on that. Like I'm going to trust your expertise on that. Yeah, and I think that's you know what you just said there. Having the patient's goal in mind, whether I send somebody to you or you send somebody to me, is the most important thing, right? Because collaboratively we're going to understand hopefully <laughs> the path that we need to take to get them back to that set yes, goal right exactly. and keeping our eye on that goal is the most important thing within working on working within the parameters of tissue healing joint mechanics yes. histology like those things don't change that's that's like yes. hard and true biology that we all studied multiple times sometimes painfully and that, that doesn't change, right? So it's that collaboration back and forth of saying, hey, wait, they're in a flare. This flare has been going on for three straight sessions. Okay, like what? Like what's my trigger then to have the collaboration that sometimes I think, at least on the therapy side, we're a little gun shy. And then that's what leads to some of these more rigid protocols yes. because there isn't the conversation back and forth between the professionals with what exactly you said, Doc, the patient's goal in mind, right? Like different if they're going back to be an Olympic swimmer versus they want to go back and hike Pinnacle Peak. Right. But guess what? That's what is going to help that patient's mind more than any of us truly realize. Yeah, right? absolutely. You know, we're so focused on their body and sometimes we forget about their goal, which is really going to help their mind. Right. Um, and, and so there, there's so much power in that collaborative and discussion back and forth because you don't know if you need to adjust timelines if there isn't, feedback to you. Right. And we don't know if we need to adjust timelines if we don't get feedback. Right. So like that communication, I can't stress it enough to our listeners that that's, that that's where our profession has to go. Yes. Of working with the people that are sending us patients and we are sending patients to in a collaborative circle. Yes. It's, it's going to give the best outcomes by far. And I've, I've seen that, you know, in, in all the patients I've treated like that, those people have the best outcomes. They are the ones that have a healthcare team that's really talking about uh, and, and communicating with what's going on at any given point. So, I mean, I think I talk to you all what maybe like once a week or maybe tw- you know once every other week, yeah. depending on how many patients we have. Um, that that's important. I mean, yeah, we we need to have that that feedback. I like what you just said because to me it just says do simple better. 
right? <laughs> and, and the emphasis on the patient's goal. Not my goal for the patient, but the patient's goal. Now, there's sometimes where the patient can have a bigger goal and they're going to set their sights really low and that's okay. And I can be that person that has the discussion, hey, do you really want to just go up and down the stairs or is maybe this event that it challenges you a little bit? There's no reason why you can't set that up. This is why we're talking with Dr. Hernandez or your orthopedic surgeon or the three of us as a whole to try and see this is there. But the, the overall problem is, yeah, it's your goal. And I'm not going to try and limit you from your goal, nor do I want to put my onus on this, right. which is a huge deal. Yes, it's a overall school and maybe out of this discussion, but I think it is when it comes to our processes working together, allowing the client really the best result. And that's how we've worked together this far. Yeah. And, it, and it's just going to get better and better as we continue to do more of these things and our understanding gets better on oh, I didn't realize that's how this worked. Right. I can complement with my thing, with your thing now, that gets so much better because of our understanding of both sides. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, looking at that piece too, right, from, from at, at the end of the day, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm focusing on the tissue damage. So let's say I'm looking at a rotator cuff. The, the, the actual piece that I'm treating is, you know, however big the rotator cuff is, right, like a few millimeters. Well, when we're looking at that, I'm, I'm interested in the tissue, in the tissue damage. And if I do an injection that we need to like, you know, hold off for a few days to allow that injection to set in or do, or do its thing. I have that collagen build up at the end of the day. Again, looking back at the patient, there's a chance that they have a scapular instability that caused that. So from a rehab standpoint, focus on the scapular instability. I think oftentimes we can get this, this tunnel vision that for happens, sure. right? Yeah. And, and so fo- yeah, focus on the scapular instability. Ultimately that's going to help decrease the tension on the tissue, which will allow the tissue to, to heal a lot better. So yeah. And so that, that that's kind of the thing with that. Uh, the, you know, the uh, only other, the only other injection that I could, outside of stem cell that I can uh, talk about is going to be what's called, um, perineural injection therapy. So the, this is actually a treatment that you use for nerves. So it's different than, uh, you know, we talked about treating ligament uh, with prolotherapy, uh, tendons with PRP, uh, and osteo and cartilage with PRP, and then cartilage with stem cell therapy. Uh, when we're looking at nerves itself, if people have a, a, a like a peripheral nerve entrapment, and going back to one, one of the first patients our team worked on, uh, we're looking at, uh, had a, we have a patient who had a suprascapular nerve entrapment. And w- what I did with that was I, I started out by injecting 5% dextrose, which is a perineural, in, uh, uh, which is a, the perineural injection. And what I, uh, what we were able to accomplish with that is we, we did an EMG, saw that he was having issues with that nerve. And I can do what's called a hydrodissection where you basically inject next to the nerve and you kind of like push it away from where it was compressed and you do it with 5% dextrose. Now, 5% dextrose has a regenerative effect on a nerve because if you think about nerves, their food source is glucose, which is what dextrose is. So instead of doing a cortisone injection, you can go and work on regenerating the nerve and helping it heal faster by doing 5% dextrose. You can follow that with PRP as well, which also has um, a really positive effect on nerve health. Anytime there's like a nerve entrapment, uh, whether it's a, a, a larger nerve entrapment like the suprascapular nerve or if we're looking at uh, like the clunial nerves for like low back pain, that's another common one, then you can, you can do 
5% uh, dextrose into that area, and that'll actually help with decreasing the pain. Cool thing is it works within like 30 seconds if, you, if, you, if you're dead on with it. And so like you, you can have the patient like pain-free. Like if, let's, let's go with that cluneal nerve. If they have an entrapment there and you inject it, uh, within 30 seconds, you'll know if, if, if that's an issue or not. That's freaking awesome. And so, and it's like the coolest thing. Cause like, like feedback loop. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. It's, I mean, like patients look at you like, Oh my God, how did you do that? It's like, I know it's pretty cool. Right. And, uh, <laughs> no, that part never gets old. So <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say I learned a ton and I'm very grateful for Trent and you, you wanting to come on and be on our podcast. So I'm grateful for your time doc that you spent. You as well, Trent, and the education that you provided, not only to me, but hopefully to all of our listeners. I think part of what our listeners are going to take from this as well is collaboration is a must in caring for individuals on the healthcare spectrum. And I think part of what we've learned in 2020 is that's even more important. And and moving forward, that's the the future of healthcare is, is, is creating a care team and collaboration. So with all the information you shared on regenerative medicine, medicine, the, the importance of physical therapy and as Trent alluded to so eloquently, understanding the patho joint mechanics and what really needs to happen based upon what injection was performed, right? And, and using our clinical brain to prescribe movement and modalities and therapeutic exercise and manual interventions that are going to assist and further facilitate the injection that was delivered, right? So again, thank you for joining us, your time. We're, we're very grateful for that. Well, I think one last thing, and thank you too yeah. as well. How do our um, listeners find you? Yeah, uh, great question. So the you can go to my website, ethoscottsdale.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Dr. Matthew Hernandez. Um, and then you can take a look at the Ethos Athlete Podcast as well. So, Love yeah, it. thank you for asking. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Trent and Dan. I've, I've enjoyed this episode, and thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. So, as always, if you guys have any questions, comments, or feedback, please do not hesitate to email us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. <laughs>